I invite you to be finding 1 Peter chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 3. And sometimes if we're not careful when you go through a book verse by verse the way we're doing it, sometimes you can get so caught up being in the middle of the forest that you can't see the forest from the trees. Sometimes we get to isolating a verse or two and we lose the big idea of the book. So before we jump into our text this morning, I want us to remember that Peter is writing this letter to a group of Christians who were scattered from their homeland. They're scattered from their loved ones, uh, but they are on the outside of culture. They, and we are as well. We live differently than our culture does. We live differently than our world does. We did live differently than our society does. And then Peter began this little section that we're in now in chapter 2 at verses 11 and 12 by very broadly saying that one of the ways that we get along with our world is to live like Christ, to act honorably, to control our, uh, our emotions, to control our fleshly desires. And then he gets very specific and says that uh, as citizens of a kingdom, as citizens of a government rather, we as Christians are to so, show subjection to the governing authorities. And in Peter's day, it would have been the emperor. In our day, it's our city council, it's our mayor, uh, mayors, our governor, our president, our congress. We are to show them respect, to show them our submission, to submit to the government because scripture tells us that the government is, are and the government is an institution ordained by God to stand as his representatives. Now our government officials don't always do that, but because they are standing in the place of God, we are to be subject to them. We are also to be subject to our bosses. Uh, in, in Peter's day, it was slave and master. In our world, it's employer and employee. Whether we have good bosses or not so good bosses, Peter tells us we should be submissive to show Christ uh, in our relationship with them. And then he tells us that wives are to be submissive to their husbands, but on the other hand, husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church and give themselves to their family and to lead in the way that God wants husbands to lead. And then in our text today, Paul gets kind of broad again and goes back and looks at the big picture. And before we read this text, I want to remind you that Peter didn't write these words to a group of Christians who were experiencing a time of blessing. They weren't experiencing a time of, of, of prosperity or good times. These folks were being persecuted because they refused to bow down and call Caesar Lord. They are being persecuted by the businesses of the day because they don't subscribe to idol worship. The businesses of the day made little idols to the Roman and Greek gods and goddesses. And as Christians, they spoke out against idolatry and said you need to worship the one true God. And so it was affecting the pocketbooks of these idol makers. And so they persecuted the Christians. Uh, Christians were accused of incest because they gave each other a holy kiss and they called each other brother and sister. Christians were accused of cannibalism because when they took communion, they ate the flesh of Jesus and they drank his blood. Now, persecution is going to get rougher for these folks. Nero is going to bring a very severe persecution toward the end of his reign. But right now, these folks are facing persecution. They were going through bad times. They were going through hard times. And with that backdrop in mind, let's read verses 8 to 17. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 17. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, 
not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who reviled your good conduct in Christ might be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. When Peter wrote this in verses 10 and 11, when he told us that he who would love life and see good days, Peter's quoting from Psalm 34, which was written by David, and King David knew a little something about hard times, didn't he? He spent a lot of his life being persecuted by Saul. Most of his kingdom, most of his days as king, he spent at war. He, had, he understood difficult times, and he reminds us and, that it is possible to have good times. It's possible to love life in the middle of bad times. On the other hand, David's son, Solomon, he lived in a time of peace and prosperity, didn't he? It's interesting how Solomon viewed his life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, when Solomon came to the end of his life and he looked back over his life, David, in the middle of hardship, said that it's possible for God-fearers to love life and have good days. Solomon said in the middle of his prosperity in Ecclesiastes 2.17, Solomon says, I hated life. So in times of hardship, we can have good times. Times of prosperity don't necessarily bring us good days. So it's obvious that good days are not based on our circumstances, are they? But rather, good days are based on something else. Worldview, our world tells us TGIF. And for y'all that don't know what TGIF is, that's an acronym. For thank God it's Friday. And that's the way our world lives. That's the way we go. Struggle through your work week. Do your best to get through Monday through Thursday. Friday's old because the weekend's coming. How many of y'all that I do it to, how many of us wake up on Friday morning saying, it's finally Friday, right? Because weekend's coming. And boy, the weekend's going to be good. I don't know about y'all, though. My weekend's about five minutes long. <laughs> Isn't that the way y'all is? Now, the work week is 14 months long. On the other hand, a Christian worldview says every day's a good day. We woke up this morning. It's a good day. We're still breathing this morning. It's a good day. Good days don't come from the contents of a bottle, a syringe, a pill, or a bank account. Good days come from a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus told his followers in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came so that his followers might have life, and not just life, but that they would have life more abundantly. Jesus, and he's not just talking about heaven. 
Jesus fully intended that his followers enjoy life right now. And that's not based on our circumstances. Understand that Peter heard Jesus say these things. We read about it. Peter heard it. Peter spent three years with his li of his life walking with Jesus, hearing Jesus teach, watching Jesus do miracles. He saw Jesus crucified. He saw Jesus resurrected. He saw Jesus going back to heaven. And he writes here that as Christians, we can have good days. We can love life. And in just a few short years, probably two to three years after Peter wrote this book and his next letter, 2 Peter, what we know as 2 Peter, Peter would be crucified by Nero. Paul's going to be beheaded by Nero. Nero's going to persecute Christians severely. But Peter says, as Christians, we need to enjoy life and have a good life. In this paragraph, Peter tells us how to have good days in the middle of tough times. Peter, we said, started this section way back in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And he finishes it up now by reminding us we can have good times. As Christians, we have good times. You know why we can have good times? And can I tell you this? I don't know what you're going through right now. Different people are in different places in their walk and in their life. Some are on a mountaintop, some are in a valley, and some are in between. But can I tell you, even though right now, Maybe you're going through good times. You're in, when it comes to bad times, I've said it before and I'll continue to say it, you're in one of three places. You've either just came out of bad times, you're in the middle of bad times, or you're just getting ready to go into bad times. That's part of the Christian life, valleys and mountains. You don't get from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop by stepping from mountaintop to mountaintop, do you? You have to go down the valley and back up the mountain again. So how do we show Jesus Christ? How do we love life? How do we have good times when times aren't so good? Can I tell you the way we do that is to show Jesus? To keep our eyes on Jesus, to keep our mind on Jesus. First of all, if we're going to love life and enjoy good days... We need to show Jesus to other Christians. Look at verse 8. He says, finally. I don't know about y'all, but that's an audience's favorite word. When the preacher says finally, or in conclusion, or my last point, Peter says, finally, all of you. Well, who's he writing to? Remember, we said that he's writing to Christians who are scattered about. He's writing to Christians. So all of you Christians, Peter's going to give us five ways in which we can show Jesus Christ to other Christians. Five characteristics of Christian friendship. First of all, he says, finally, all of you be of one mind. We need to be unified in mind in our churches. Well, what mind are we supposed to have? Philippians 2 verse 5. Paul says, have this same mind in you that's in Jesus Christ. He says, we need to learn to be humble. We need to learn to put others first. We need the mind of Christ. I don't care whether there's 20 people in a church or there's 2,000 people in a church. For that church to be the kind of church God wants her to be and Jesus wants her to be, we have to, have a light, we have to be like-minded. We have to be unified. When you read the book of Acts, notice how many times it says they were together with one accord, with one mind, with one purpose. We're to have the mind of Jesus Christ. We're to be unified. Secondly, he says, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Sympathy, compassion. Can I tell you that in our faith family here at Old New Hope, that there's no one that's better than anybody else. There's no one in our faith family that's beneath 
someone else. We're to show sympathy. We're to show compassion to everybody. We're not to have cliques. If a man came in and a woman came in in a Rolls Royce and a nice suit and tie, nice dress, looking dressed to the teeth, and boy, we shake hands with them when they come in. Hello, how are you? Find you a seat. We are so glad to have you today. On the other hand, a fellow wakes up this morning and he's hung over from too many drinks last night. He's woke up in bed next to somebody he don't remember getting in bed with. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit puts on his heart, he needs to go to church. And he comes in our door right after our Rose Rose folks sit down. This guy's never been to church before. He doesn't know what he's supposed to wear. And if he didn't know, he still wouldn't have the clothes. He comes in barefooted. Blue jeans have holes in them. Shirts on inside out. He smells like alcohol. Cat and shave. Hair sticking straight up. What's our first thought? Do we treat him the same way that we treat a Rolls Royce couple? Or do we think, oh my goodness, here comes trouble. He's just here asking for a handout. What's he doing? Y'all, our job is to show Jesus Christ to everybody. To be like-minded, to be sympathetic and compassionate to everyone. Nobody's beneath anybody else. Because let me tell you, that drunk folk, person with the Holy Spirit working in his heart, may be a lot closer to Jesus Christ than the Rolls Royce couple. We don't know. Until the Holy Spirit gets done with his work. So he says, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love for each other. We're to love each other. You know what that means? It doesn't say love each other except brother so-and-so. Love each other except sister so-and-so. He just says love each other and that he stops it right there. You know, I think Peter did that on purpose. We're to love all our brothers and sisters. Somebody says, I can't go to church down there because I just can't get along with brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. How you going to spend eternity with them if you can't spend an hour with them during the week? We're to love them. And I'm going to say something here I believe with all my heart. If I'm having trouble loving my brother and sister, I need to ask myself, is my relationship with God where it ought to be? Because let me tell you what, I don't care what that brother or sister has done for you. Jesus Christ has forgiven you of more than that brother and sister has done for you. Amen? Love each other. Be compassionate. Then he says, be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. That is a, especially in males, we don't, males who cry, people kind of look at them. Men aren't supposed to cry. Y'all remember the movie, uh, A League of Their Own, when, when Tom Hanks says, there's no crying in baseball. We remember that. Uh, and especially the generation before me, my dad's generation, just just men men don't cry. Men, men are not tender hearted. My dad was now he was a nice guy, he was funny, he he loved us. 
But my dad, a funny thing happened to my dad. He had three brain aneurysm leaks. He had three operations. And in 1984, he had his third brain operation. And, and my mom, I don't know if my brother and sister noticed this, but my, my mom and I have did because we both talked about it. My dad became really tenderhearted after that last brain surgery. He would, uh, he watched a sad movie on TV, he'd just start crying. Or if he, he we watched a, if a news a program came on or a news story came on where somebody was mistreated or somebody, dad would just tear up. I'm like, where's my, I looked at him like, where's my dad and what have you done with him? That, that brain operation caused him to be tenderhearted. But can I tell you, as Christians, every one of us have had a heart transplant and we all ought to be tenderhearted. There's no room for meanness in the kingdom of God. When our brothers and sisters are crying, we ought to cry with them. When our brothers and sisters are joyful, we ought to be joyful with them. We need to have unity of mind. We need to be sympathetic and compassionate. We need to have love for each other. We need to be tenderhearted. And finally, he says, we need to be courteous or humble. Two character traits that Christians should never have are pride and envy. We don't have anything to be proud about because y'all, none of us are as sinless as Jesus. I don't care where we are in our walk. I don't care how long we've been walking with Jesus. I don't care how many Sunday school classes we've taught. I don't care how many sermons we've preached. I don't care how many songs we've sang. I don't care how many church buildings we've cleaned, how many church yards we've mowed, or how many church vans we've driven. None of us are perfect. None of us have anything to be prideful about because the only way that any of us stand before God is because of Jesus. Not because of us. It's in spite of us. Amen? So none of us have a right to be proud and none of us have a right and we should never, a Christian should never be envious because none of it belongs to us anyway. couple may drive the Rolls Royce, but the bank may take it away tomorrow. Way back in another life, I was a, I, I worked for Orkin Pest Control Company, and my route was Brentwood. And it's amazing, and you may not believe me, but I, trust me, it's your preacher. You'd be surprised how many houses you go into in Brentwood. I went into one, they didn't have a piece of furniture. They had lawn chairs. They were sitting on lawn chairs, eating out of paper plates, sleeping on a blow-up mattress. And now the house was nice. And I said, how come y'all don't have any furniture? And they said, we can't afford it. I said, well, why are y'all living here? And they said, well, in the job I have, we need to live in this zip code. Y'all, just because people have nice stuff doesn't believe doesn't mean they have anything. It all belongs to the Lord. It's all His. We just get to enjoy it for a little while. And God gives it to us, I think, to see what we're going to do with it. Are we going to hoard it or are we going to be good stewards? Christians should never be prideful. We should never be envious. We should be humble. Show Jesus Christ in your, your humility. If anybody deserved to have their feet washed, it was Jesus. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And it's our job to be like Jesus. We need to show Jesus to fellow Christians. We can begin to have good days when we live our lives showing Jesus Christ to our brothers as sisters in Christ. And we can also have good days when we show Christ not only to other Christians, but also to our opponents. Look at verses 9 to 12. There are three ways to treat our opponents. First one's found in verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Don't repay evil. That's number one. Three ways to treat our enemies. Number one, don't repay 
evil. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't revile for reviling. Instead, show them Jesus by blessing them. You want to mess somebody up? You want to mess somebody up? They come to you and say, you know, as a Christian, being a Christian, that's about the stupidest thing I ever heard. And matter of fact, you must be pretty weak-minded to believe in a God and believe in a Christian. You know what you need to do? Say, well, may God bless you. <coughs> I don't mess them up, but they don't know how to deal with that. Don't return evil for evil. Don't see if you can come back and come back with something better. Don't fight bad words with bad words. As we walk through this life, Peter says, we need to be a blessing, knowing that you were called to this. It's our calling to bless other people because we're inheriting a blessing. Do you remember that? We know where we're going. We know what we're coming to at the end of this time. At the end of this life, we're going to live with Jesus forever. We'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. But don't repay evil for evil. Be blessed. And because you have been blessed, be a blessing. And live like you've inherited a blessing. We need to get through our heads as Christians, that we haven't been called to an easy life. Jesus didn't say, take up your pillow and follow me. Jesus did not say, take up your dinner plate and follow me. Take up your favorite Christian CD or your favorite DVD and follow me. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. The cross is an instrument of death. The cross is an instrument of of execution. Can I tell you right now that people are going to treat Christians, that's us, the same way they treated Jesus. Jesus said, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. The world mistreated me, the world's going to mistreat you. We shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't like us or the world treats us mean. But you know what else? When they see us having a good day, in spite of sometimes terrible circumstances, when they see us showing Jesus, when things aren't going so good, that points them toward Jesus. If we try to repay or to get back at our enemies, our opponents, you know what we're showing them? We're showing them the Christians are just like everybody else. We go through hardships just like everybody else. Bob called Joe at 3 o'clock in the morning. and Phone rings, Joe picks it up, and Bob says, Joe, your dog's keeping me awake. He's barking, driving me nuts, and he hung up. The next day at 3 o'clock in the morning, same time, Joe calls Bob and says, Bob, I don't have a dog, and hung up on him. That's just repaying evil for evil. We're not called to do that, y'all. And do you remember what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 19? Don't repay evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. When we take revenge on our opponents, we are taking something that belongs to God. You ever thought about that? God's going to make it right. It may not be as fast as we would like it to be. And it doesn't mean we never stand up for injustice and wrong. But don't take something that belongs to God for yourself. I've got a question. Would you all think, would anybody here think about when the collection plate's being passed, would you think about taking money out of it? I'm not seeing as many people shake their heads as I thought I would. I hope I hadn't put something in your mind that you hadn't thought about. <laughs> we wouldn't do that, would we? Why? That money's God's, right? But why are we taking God's vengeance? Why are we taking God's revenge? Leave it to God. 
God sees the big picture. You know, sometimes people are hateful to us because of what's been done to them, and they're just taking it out on us because we're the closest thing they have to take it out on. We don't know what they're going through. We have no right for revenge or for vengeance. First of all, don't repay evil. Secondly, verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Don't repay evil. Secondly, don't repeat evil. The Christian life is more than just not doing bad stuff. The Christian life is full of a lot of little stuff, like learning to control our tongues. James says the tongue is a little member, but it steers ships. It's like a ship's rudder. It's like a horse's bridle. You take a big old horse and put a bit in his mouth, and with the reins in the bit, you can control that powerful horse. That's what our tongues do. How many people do we hurt with our tongues? Somebody says something hateful to us, and boy, we speak it right back, right? Or we see something we don't like, and boy, we say what's on our mind. I'm guilty of this. Yesterday, I, I got a phone call, and I got really upset about what the guy says. And had that guy been sitting in front of me where he could have seen me, I would have told him what I thought about the whole situation. And then I started feeling guilty because of the, I heard it just as clear as day, Andrew Clayton Plank. When I hear Andrew Clayton Plank, it's, and it is in the voice of my mama. I knew I had said I don't have that right. I'm like the fellow that says, I always mean what I say, just sometimes I don't mean to say it. <laughs> you ever been there? Don't repay evil. Don't repeat evil. Don't start a conversation with somebody else by going, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but or so-and-so told me not to say this, but I guess we, we probably ought not say that, right? Don't repay evil. Don't repeat evil. And then verse 11 and 12. That in turn away from evil and do good, that in seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Don't repay evil. Don't repeat evil. And finally, don't regard evil. Don't even give it any attention. Don't give sin any attention. Turn away from evil. Then he says, don't just turn away. Do good instead. It's a conscious choice. Doing evil is a choice. Doing good is a choice. As Christians, to our opponents, we've already seen how we're supposed to treat other Christians. But to our opponents, we need to do good instead of doing bad. We need to do to sin what sin's going to do to us. Sin will destroy us. Sin will abandon us. Sin will devastate us. Sin will ignore us. We need to learn to do that to sin. The preacher John Owen, who lived from 1616 to 1683, John Owen said, you be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And ain't that the truth? If we're not getting rid of sin in our life, that means sin's taking a stronghold. Peter tells us, seek peace, pursue peace, chase peace, so we can show our opponents, that we're not like the world. Jesus is living in us. And then finally, not only do we need to show Jesus to other Christians, we need to show Jesus to our opponents. It's also possible for us to show Jesus in our oppression. 
And that's what the rest of this chapter, verses 13 to 17, is about. Peter starts this section with a rhetorical question. What I mean by that, that's a question that Peter really doesn't expect an answer to. Peter says, Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? In other words, who's going to hurt you if you do good? What harm can come to us for following Jesus? Verse 14 says, Even if we suffer for righteousness' sake, we're blessed. It doesn't matter what comes our way as a result of living for Christ and being persecuted for Christ. We are blessed. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 11 and 12? Blessed are you when men persecute you and say evil things about you for righteousness' sake. Peter was there. He was sitting right there when Jesus preached that. And he writes it here. Can I tell you that in a culture that doesn't recognize Jesus Christ as Lord, in a culture that thinks of Christians' way of morality is way too narrow, in a culture that's constantly criticizing us, how in the world can we be happy in the middle of all this oppression? How can we love life and show good days in the middle of all this? First of all, verse 14 tells us we need to have a firm faith. For even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. Don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Can I tell you that if you believe that as a Christian you're never going to face hard times, you're never going to face persecution as a Christ follower, you are sadly mistaken. If a prosperity gospel preacher, a name it, claim it preacher, tells you that everything about the Christian life is wonderful 24-7, you need to do one thing. Run. Because that's a false gospel. That's not true. We have to understand that and believe that the same God who saved us is going to allow us to go through persecution. He's going to allow us to go through times of trouble. He's going to allow us to suffer. He's going to allow us to have hardship. God never told us, Jesus never told us, that we were going to be exempt from all that. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Give up your life and follow me. That's why we need Christ. Our faith needs to take the long view. Y'all, I know where I'm going when I leave this place. I'm going to live forever with Jesus. How about you? Is that where you're going? Y'all, if that's where we're going, that's the view we need to take through this life. We need to take the long view. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus. You know how long eternity is? Me neither. We can't describe that. It's just beyond our human. It's, it's no time. There's no beginning. There's no end. We're going to be with Jesus forever. Can I ask you this? What's 80 or 90 years on this earth compared to where we're going with Jesus? I know where I'm going. I know where my faith is. And that's where we need to have a firm faith. We also need to have a fearless faith. Don't be afraid of them who persecute you. The progressive Christianity of the 21st century has turned its back on 2,000 years of orthodoxy. People have been following God's word for 2,000 years, but today's society has philosophized themselves out of faith. They've asked themselves and anybody else who will listen, did God really say that? Did God really say that about male and female? Did God really say that about marriage? Did God really say that about different roles for men and women? Can I say, yes, he did? Amen. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible is not a word from God. The Bible is God's word. But it's not just a word from God. It is God's word. And can I tell you something? I'm more afraid of God than I am our society. Amen. And we all need to be that way. We need to be more afraid of God than we are of them. We also need to have a foundational faith, verse 15. 
but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Hebrew, the oldest text here reads, sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the foundation of my faith. That's the foundation it should be of your faith. We make a mistake when we tell people they need to trust Jesus as their personal Savior. People need to do that. But that's not all they need to do. That's not the end of the story. We need to trust Jesus as our personal Savior. But we need to understand that our salvation's more than that. Jesus Christ must be both Savior and Lord. Did you know this? In the book of Acts, Luke, the writer, calls Jesus Christ Savior two times. In the book of Acts, Luke calls Jesus Christ Lord 92 times. Where's the emphasis? Can I tell you that even in new math, 92 is still bigger than 2? A lot bigger. To stop with the question, is Jesus your personal Savior, is asking somebody, have you purchased fire insurance? Nobody in their right mind wants to go to hell, but there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians included, that want Jesus to be their Savior, but they have absolutely no intention of making Jesus Christ their Lord. They don't want the Lord to run their life. They say, I have faith. And I can, can I tell you, they may have some kind of faith, but it's not a saving faith. Nor is it a faith that has a foundation. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you must also turn over your life to Jesus and let him run that too. We trust Jesus with our soul. We've got to trust him with our life. Amen? Amen. Imagine this. Fellas, you're married to your wife and it's your wedding day. And you've got done with the I do's, you've kissed your bride, you've had the cake, you've had the reception, you've done all that's done with that, and, and you get in the car to go drive on your honeymoon, and you get out of the church, flat on the road, and your wife says, take me home. And you say, to our house? No, no, take me to my mom and daddy's house. That's home. Now, I, I th thank you for being my husband. I'm going to take your name and uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be your wife but, and we'll go out once a week. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go have dinner on Friday night and if I need you, I'll call. If I need protection, I'll call. If I get bad news, I'll call. If I need money, I'll call. Y'all, is that a marriage? It's a sham, isn't it? You're, 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 a, you're married in name only. Did you know that's what a lot of Christians do with Jesus? Jesus, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll take your salvation. I'll say I'm a Christian, and, and I'll even... Read the Bible every now and then, and I'll go to church once a week. And if I need you, when if I get a bad, bad diagnosis from the doctor, I'll I'll pray to you. Or if I need I have money trouble, I'll I'll give you a call. I'll give you a prayer. Lord, I I don't want to go to hell, and I appreciate you saving me. I'll just be a Christian. Y'all, is that a relationship? Not a bit, is it? Listen to me closely. If you haven't heard anything else this morning, hear this. I'm not asking you, are you a member of Old New Hope Baptist Church? That's not the question. I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? Or do you know the plan of salvation? I'm asking you, do you know the man of salvation? Amen? Amen. Have you said, Lord, I receive all that you are. 
and I give you all that I am. Y'all, that's salvation. And that's faith that has a foundation. If you haven't done that, you may have faith, but you may not have saving faith. You need to be praying to the Holy Spirit, Lord, have I done, am I your child? We also need to have a fanatical faith. Look what Peter says. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Be ready always to give an answer. Notice what we're to be ready to do. We're always to be ready to give an answer. An answer of what? A reason for the hope that is within us. Be ready always. We are all called to be evangelists. We're called to talk about the hope that's in us. Now here's a question. Why would anybody ask us about the hope that's living in us if we're walking around like gloomy gusts? Sad Sally? Debbie Downer? If we're as miserable as everybody else, nobody's going to ask us anything. Amen? We need to walk around cheerfully. Our cheerful, positive attitude. Now, you're not happy because of your circumstances. My heart acted up last night and it aggravated me. I'm in Facebook jail. Different things happening that aren't so great, but you know what? Man, I'm blessed. I got Jesus. He woke me up this morning. I was so excited to preach this message today because he gave me a word for you. And boy, I hope somebody says, what are you doing cheerful? Have you lost your mind? Do you see everything that's going wrong? Don't you know who's president? Don't you know what the economy's like? Don't you know how everybody's got COVID? Don't you know that? Don't you know that? I can say praise Jesus. Just praise the Lord. Well, what's wrong with you? Let me tell you why, why I'm happy. And you can be happy too. Would you like to be happy too? Then he says, be ready to give an answer. Look how he says we're to give it. With meekness and fear or meekness and respect. We are always called to defend God's word, to, to talk about why we believe what we believe, why are we cheerful, why are we going to heaven. But can I tell you what God's word is a sword? Can I tell you, though, that we are never called to use our Bibles as a club? We are never called to beat somebody half to death with our Bibles? You're going to obey Jesus or I'm not going to let up on you. I'm going to just keep on talking to you. You know what? Finally somebody will do that just to get us off their back. And they're not, they're not saved. And even worse than that, they may think they are. Be ready to give an answer with a hopeful attitude. With meekness and respect. And finally, we're to have a fervent faith. Verses 16 and 17. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers... Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If we're going to be on fire for someone or something, let's be on fire for Jesus. Because can I tell you that if you're not on fire for Jesus, your conscience ought to bother you? If you're on fire for Jesus and somebody calls you a nut, Praise God. The Holy Spirit's encouraging you, you to be a nut for Jesus. If we were more nuts for Jesus, we'd be saving more people. You know why the church isn't influencing the world? Because nobody's asking about our the reason for our hope that's in us because we're not walking around like we have any hope. We're not walking around like we have any joy. We're walking around as mad and aggravated as the world is. And we wonder what's wrong. We say, praise 
Lord Jesus, come. Maybe Lord Jesus hadn't come because we haven't done what we're supposed to do. Because the reason that the Lord Jesus hasn't come, Second Peter tells us, that the reason he hasn't come yet is he's waiting for all the world to repent. You know why all the world hadn't repented? Because they hadn't heard the gospel. You know why they haven't heard the gospel? Because we haven't told them. If Christians had done their job and the world would be converted, we'd be living with Jesus right now. Amen? Let's get on fire for Jesus. Do you know the man of salvation? Is Jesus your Savior and your Lord? If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're going to have a chance here in just a minute to do that. Ms. Mary, if you'll come on up. and Mr. Eddie. You say, well, what in the world do I need to do? What in the world do I need to do to trust Jesus? Well, what does that mean by, by trusting Jesus? It means, first of all, to admit you're a sinner. Every one of us all. We've done things, said things, haven't done things, haven't done things that we ought to do. We're sinners. And I got, we can't save ourselves. We're in a mess. You ever heard somebody say you can't get where you're going from here? You can't get there from here? We can't get to God from here. We need help. We need Jesus. Jesus came and he died for me. He came to die for you. He came to die for the sins of the whole world. Just admit to Jesus, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, but I trust the one who died for me. Please save me. And he'll save you. But when you say that, understand that you're not just trusting Jesus as your Savior, but you're giving your life to him. You're saying, Lord, I'm tired of running my life because I've made a mess of it. I want you to run it from now on. And do your best to do that. And maybe you've done that and, and you've got off track and you need a new start. 